for me, actually, I did listen to a lot of Michael Jackson um, because originally, you know, um, I started off singing. And so I used to listen to a lot of Stevie Wonder, literally, and a lot of R&B music. So like Usher, Chris Brown, Mario, <laughs> man, the list goes on. I wasn't really much into like rap and hip hop, but I did listen to a lot of Biggie and Tupac. Like I was into like 90s. Um, hip hop, but none of like the 2000s type stuff until I got to like high school. Uh, but that was like you know 2012, uh, I mean, not 2012, 2008. But yeah, that was pretty much what I listened to growing up. This is Musicians Can Thrive, a podcast community for anyone seeking to make money in the music industry. Musicians, audio engineers, managers, producers, booking agents, everyone across all niches. Welcome. My name is Gabrielle. I'm a singer-songwriter. These stories are for you. I hope they'll help you find new ways to thrive as a musician. Asante Abdullah founded an organization called New World Audience. And that set the foundation for his company, Promoted Entertainment. The name New World Audience might sound familiar to you, because there are several artists from previous episodes that I met through a New World Audience show. Asante has a revolutionary vision for how he's going to help independent artists. By understanding the data that's unique to what their audience likes best, and supporting the artists with the kind of marketing infrastructure they usually might not have access to, Asante is working to create a world where independent artists can easily learn the business of music so they can develop sustainable careers and income. And then I like to dance a lot, so I listen to a lot of club music. And in Jersey, um, if, you, if you don't know what club music is, it kind of morphed out of uh, what people know today as Baltimore club music, if you ever heard of that but it's a mixture of upbeat uh, hip hop and R&B songs and like a certain like rhythm and beat uh, with 808 drums. So it's a really funky sound. Uh, it's, it's sort of like our, our NOLA sound. If you've ever been in New Orleans, you know, they have a very significant special sound to the culture there. And we have the same in New Jersey. And it's more specifically Northern Jersey. So like, you know, Nork, you know, South Orange, that whole area. Um, but yeah, that's what I listened to growing up. <laughs> that's awesome. I've actually been watching, I'm pretty sure it's called Hip Hop Evolution. It's this documentary on Netflix. And they yeah. took me through New Orleans, Atlanta. I want to say a couple other places, but I don't remember off the top of my head what they were. And they were talking about like the evolution of club music and how DJs really... I mean, that was sort of like the precursor to hip hop because you've got these funky beats and people are dancing and right, right. the DJs would sort of like MC over it. And then people started yeah. coming in with bars. And before you know it, it's like a full on song. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Exactly. And a lot of that um, culture shifted, you know, uh, up north to New York. And well, New York, of course, is the birthplace. Um, but, you know, to Jersey, even like the southern states, like you know, the Carolinas and, you know, they were even getting down in a different way. So that was interesting, that whole movement. A lot of greatness came out of it. Oh, yeah. I loved how it was so, like, regionally specific, you know? Each area had their own <laughs> sound and you could hear it. And so yep. and this wasn't the club music. I guess it just evolved out of it. But I think in Houston, I forget what they called it. But there was this one DJ who basically started slowing things way down. And he just kind of had this slow, groovy sound. Yeah, and it makes God. sense because it's so hot. You just want to be slow and groovy. Groove music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that came out of Houston. Um, screw music was that slowed down, like, you know, I don't even know. Well, you know, screw. That's um, what it was, yeah. Yeah, but I don't know any other like artists that like really were known for that sound other than him. But that sound was gritty. It was 
in your face, but it was so smooth, man. Like you felt like you were pimping for real anytime you heard <laughs> one of those beats. <laughs> for real. That's dope. So just so the listeners can have some more context about who you are and where you came from, I would love for you to share a little bit about how the culture that you grew up in in Jersey and your family and that music community it was a pretty big influence for you. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm from North New Jersey, which is like Northern Jersey. And I grew up one of six. I am the second youngest. So I have a baby sister mm. <laughs> who's not, not such a baby anymore. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we really grew up in a, in a musically inclined household. My dad loved jazz. Um, he even loved, you know, hip hop. You know, my family wasn't really much about like the raunchy, gritty hip hop, but, you know, like good lyrical hip hop. So I grew up a lot. I grew up a lot around uh, conscious music, you know, and even my mom, like she listened to a lot of like spiritual music in the sense of like spiritual R&B music. So like India R.E. and like if she listened to hip hop, it was like Lauryn Hill. Right. So, you know, we were growing up listening to things that made us think before we went to school. You know what I'm saying? So, so it was it was really interesting. Um, and then, of course, my granddad is Bobby Lewis. And so that aura of his, you know, um, legacy, you know, influenced a lot of what, you know, we got into. You know, my aunts, of course, sang, um, you know, back up for people like Whitney Houston. And ultimately, you know, I decided to pick up music, right? So I started singing when I was really young in elementary school. Um, I joined the school choir. Um, and then I was this close to going to you know, the North Boys Chorus School, but for whatever reason, I didn't end up going. You know, my parents had their decisions. Um, However, I then picked up instruments, right? So I started playing the violin um, at the Suzuki School of Music in North New Jersey, where I learned to really play by ear. And so uh, what's interesting about that is that I learned that my grandfather learned how to play music by ear. (laughs) And so it was like already kind of in me to do that that way. You know, my dad was also good with, you know, hearing music and hearing different instruments and, and, and songs. And he would even ask me when we were like in the car listening to music, he'd say, what instrument is that? Mm. Right. And I would and I would like call it out. Right. Um, he's like, who's that singing? Who's that playing? You know, um, but that's how, you know, I guess he learned how to you know get in touch with music uh, and that side of himself uh, through his relationship with his dad, you know, my granddad. And so. Um, he did the same thing with me. And so I love music. Uh, after the violin, I, I dabbled with the clarinet a little bit, but I didn't really get too much into that. I was much more into like music. And so I really started uh, branching out into all different genres of music, hip hop, R&B, Afro beats, um, even a little rock, you know. And so for me, DJing was my next prowess. And I started doing that uh, in college with my phone, really. And I would go to house parties and people were like, yo, Sante, plug in your phone. Sante's here, plug in your phone. <laughs> always just put together the best mixes of music you know and I didn't have an app on my phone I was just playing songs you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. but I would always set the vibe you know what I'm saying and people would be like yo you always you always got the best playlist and so eventually by my junior year I decided to get a DJ set <laughs> mm. and you know once I did that it was on I started DJing parties and my roommate uh, happened to be um you know kind of like an honorary frat member essentially <laughs> <laughs> cool with the frat guys at our school and so we i dj'd a lot of their parties as well and um, a lot of their formals and stuff so that was nice but from there you know of course um you know i took it a whole step further once i got you know my job and stuff like that but and moved around the country a little bit but i'll stop there (laughs) (laughs) i hope i answered your question (laughs) absolutely i love hearing all that before I get too far down the path where I want to take this conversation, yeah, can we just add some context around who Bobby Lewis is for people who don't know? Yeah. Um, so Bobby Lewis is a 1960s rock star um, famous for tossing and turning. That came out it was like top uh, hit the billboards and was like there as the only song for uh, a black artist for like i think longer than like seven weeks or something it was like up there for like 13 weeks or something like that um so he set the record 
for longest pop song by an African-American artist on the uh, billboards. Um, and he even uh, was up there recently, as in like 2016, I think. His song, Billboards Again. <laughs> so so that is Bobby Lewis. Um, and he's your granddad. He's my granddad, yeah. yeah. Man, you are descended from greatness. <laughs> I like to think so, man. I, you know, I didn't really get to spend too much time with my granddad while he was here. But when I did get to, get to spend time with him, I saw a lot of who I am, you know? So that was special that I got to experience that. I can imagine that really helped bring him to life for you as you got to know him over the years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. You know, when he passed, I wasn't even sad. You know, I was empowered because, you know, by the time I had met him, I had already started New World Audience and I had already been working with musicians. And, you know, I kind of did all this, not even really thinking about my legacy. You know, I was trying to get back home, you know, emotionally, spiritually, in terms of just kind of touching back to my culture and my roots. And for me, that was music. Um, but I didn't really connect it back to why. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but when he passed, it really hit me. It was like, this is in your heart, you know, and you're stepping in purpose because you're kind of carrying the torch, but in a different way. You're not a musician yourself anymore, but what you're doing is providing a platform for musicians, which is even greater, right? Who knows? Maybe my granddad wanted to do this. Maybe he wanted to help musicians at one point in his life. Who knows? <laughs> I never got to ask him, but you never know uh, how, how life continues. So how did you get from a dabbling musician to a DJ to a man who decided to lift up and empower indie musicians instead of personally chasing the spotlight? Yeah. So in college, I joined a business fellowship called Management Leadership for Tomorrow, like my sophomore year. And that it's a pipeline for minority uh, talent into corporate America. And it's an 18-month uh, fellowship. And there I got an interview to be uh, a sales analyst intern for the Clorox company. And so when I got that opportunity, I ended up working over the summer and getting a full-time opportunity. And they flew me out to Cincinnati for my first rotation after college. There I was there for like, what, 11 months. And then um, I got promoted and moved to Austin, Texas. But by then I had really been kind of, you know, homesick a little bit, right? Like, you don't really expect to move away from home when you graduate college, although you know it's a possibility if you get a job. But most people aren't thinking that. They're like, I'm going to get a local job at a corporation. You know what I'm saying? And mind you, I was in Philadelphia. I was on the East Coast. I could have worked in New York. I could have worked in you know Philly. I could have worked in even New uh, Newark, um, which has a lot of uh, corporate businesses. However, I chose Clorox, and I was moved around the country a bit. And instead of kind of deciding to move back, when I got to Austin, I was kind of interested I was kind of intrigued, actually, because I found out that uh, Austin was called the music capital of the world. And so I really wanted to see if that was true. Going out into the city and kind of checking out the scene. And that I didn't see that um, in terms of representation and who was on the stage and what music was being played. And so I dug a little further and started going to like the Urban League events and things. And so I started asking questions about, hey, where where are our people when, you know, when they perform? Where do they go? Right. And so I had to find events that our people would put on. And ultimately, I found out that there was a gap that needed to be filled in terms of platforms and infrastructures that provide, you know, the space for underrepresented communities to showcase their talents right i didn't i didn't feel like venues and you know city organizations were giving underrepresented uh, communities fair chances for opportunities to you know engage new audiences right and for me i was like that is a way that i can definitely provide value in the music space and so i kind of went home and i started thinking about you know ways that i could really provide that structure and I came up with a business model because I said, hey, I could either go out here and be a musician where I start DJing events and like have my own parties, right, where I have musicians come play. But I said, I really don't want to do that, right? <laughs> I said, I'm really trying to build a legacy. And for me, you know, moving around the country and getting a corporate job was about building wealth for me, for myself, but more importantly, for my family, right? And so ultimately, I decided to combine my music prowess with you know, my love for business. And I thought, well, 
this is a unique skill set that most independent musicians don't have. And so a new world audience was built, right? Because I thought of a concept that with each new wave of content viewers and listeners, there's always a new wave of content creators that we need to tap into. And so that saying goes both ways, right? With each new wave of content creators, there's always a new wave of content viewers and listeners that we need to tap into. And so new world audience was birthed as a feminine media brand development platform for independent musicians. And I guess the film and media part for me comes in because I love, love, love documentaries. <laughs> um, I love getting to know people on a deeper level. And so for me, I thought that people should really get to know, and more importantly, the community, people in the community should get to know these artists on a deeper level so that you ultimately develop and strengthen pipelines for sustainable careers in the musician community, um, right? Because apparently a lot of um, not apparently, but explicitly, a lot of musicians are not getting uh, their fair share of the financial pie or I should say the economic pie uh, in terms of the, the value that they provide and the financial compensation that they receive, you know, for all that value. And so ultimately, you know, my platforms um, are working to develop that. Um, but I think at first it starts with the musician and it starts with the person and um, how you empower them to uh, get their brands out there and how you empower them to really develop the stage for themselves, right? A lot of musicians also wait for opportunities and look for opportunities, but you got to be the opportunity, <laughs> right? And, and I really want to teach that. And so um, ultimately I've developed, New World Audience has developed into an entertainment music group called Promoted Entertainment Music Group. And our, our, our mission for that, for this platform is to empower musicians um, and develop musicians through creative film and media expression, digital business intelligence, but also a pipeline to long-term career success. And so, you know, you heard the business intelligence piece because, again, I'm trying to um, develop brands, but also teach sustainability. And you can only do that through developing a business for yourself or around your brand. And if your brand is music, uh, all the better, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's where we are now. And I guess now I have a digital media agency that's going to be launching in July called Promoted Culture. And so um, under the umbrella, there are only two companies. And Promoted Culture is going to work as a promotion and distribution arm for all of the from media content that comes out of New World Audience for the musicians. So I'm developing a full infrastructure from soup to nuts for uh, how musicians can develop their brands, but also create content that their audiences can engage with and resonate with on a deeper level. I really love what you're doing. And when I, when I first found out about New World Audience, it really resonated with me. And that was just when I thought that you were just curating shows for indie artists and helping right. them create <laughs> promotional content with the videos that you would create for them. And I think there's something really powerful about framing your choices in music through the lens of building a sustainable career because there's so many different things that you can try and so many opportunities because there are very few gatekeepers now stopping you from doing what you'd like to do but figuring out how to bring that business mindset into something that's so creative I feel like it's counterintuitive for a lot of musicians. And so you providing that knowledge and that help is just so needed. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. Thanks. You know, and I think in terms of, you know, need, if you think about the times right now and what's needed, uh, musicians are so important. And now more than ever, musicians need to see that they are valued in the community because musicians heal communities, right? And when you think about the climate right now and, um, and all the tension, I think it's important for us to provide a platform for musicians to share their voices. Because if you think about history, uh, which is important, musicians have traditionally used their voices to push the momentum of uh, social justice movements like the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. right? You know, if you think about, you know, James Brown, I'm Black and I'm Proud, Sam Cooke, A Change is Going to Come, you know, Lena Horne, you know, Billie Holiday, Strange Fruit, you know. Aretha so, Franklin. Aretha Franklin, right? Um, and the list goes on, right? Uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, Civil Rights Man of the People, 1957. So mm-hmm. I think that 
for me, it was important to understand what my lane was, right? For me, I'm not a protester personally, right? I saw a lot of organizations putting together protests, which we need that energy, right? I saw a lot of organizations getting into the political uh, sphere. So, you know, trying to um, influence legislation. I myself personally is not am not very into politics. I follow it, you know, to stay informed, but I'm not really the person on the floor lobbying, right? On the other front, you know, I saw a lot of organizations doing the social media bit and doing a lot of campaigning around blackouts and putting out statements and things like that. And for me personally, that's not really my realm. For me personally, I'm thinking about ways that I can empower musicians through this time, right? The people who need me the most. And so out of this came an idea that I had around how I could bring the community together to educate people, but more importantly, to educate our community around cultural awareness And then the second pillar of this movement that I'm going to tell you about is um, the unification of humanity. So how we can talk about bringing people together and healing. And then the last part of this is how we can organize as a community around initiatives that we want to take action on. Right. Um, And so the name of this initiative uh, or movement, I should call, is called the Promoted Collective Culture Hall. And I call it a culture hall, not a town hall, because I don't want it to feel municipal. You know, I want it to feel like this is us. This is our people coming together. This is a community coming together to fellowship, to talk about how to take our community back and how to, you know, leverage our resources and our dollars to pull ourselves up and to uh, further develop our businesses and our people. And so the culture hall is going to be a space for all those things. And so I'm partnering with 10 organizations, some of which are in the legislative realm, some of which are in the creative realm, and some of which are in the community. And right now we're meeting to figure out, one, how we're going to structure the culture hall, but also what initiatives we are going to champion individually as organizations publicly at this culture hall, right? So we all want to be aligned on what we're supporting, right? But then more importantly, we're working on an initiative that we're going to work on together as a collective of organizations. And the way we organize around this is at the culture hall, there's going to be a panel portion at every culture hall where we as a collective are talking to the community, talking with the community about the one initiative that we're going in on to champion And then the community is going to engage us and provide feedback in ways in which they will support and provide mobilization around. And so then we take that to a separate meeting, which is like kind of like a committee meeting, if you will. And we mobilize around it. Right. Okay, here we heard the community. Here's what the community wants. How do we get it done as as community leaders, you know, in Austin? We've made it about halfway through the show and we're going to have a quick pause. Ads are irritating distractions, so they'll never be a part of the Musicians Can Thrive podcast. Thank you for listening. To make sure you get new episodes as soon as I release them, subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'm so glad I get the honor of sharing these musicians' stories, and it would mean a lot if you would be willing to help me share them. Spotify has this awesome feature where you can share podcast episodes directly to Instagram stories, so if you're willing... Tell your followers about your favorite episode. Last thing. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leaving a quick review helps other musicians learn about Musicians Can Thrive. I appreciate your support. Back to the show. And, you know, a lot of us have ties to the city government, right? And so I think a lot of the influence has to start with a a united front right, versus siloed initiatives from each of us with the city if we engage municipalities. And so that's another reason why I wanted to start the Promoted Collective Culture Hall, because out of this, um, you have three different groups that we've actually created. So the first one is called the Promoted Creative Collective. The second one is called the Promoted Business Collective. And the third is called the Promoted Youth Collective. Uh, And these three collectives are pretty much communities of Um, like-minded individuals who will connect, collaborate, and create in terms of unifying the city. 
Uh, and unifying these individual groups of people at these culture halls. They're also going to work as ambassadors for what comes out of the culture halls, right? So the things that we talk about as a community and the things that we are championing, these collectives are going to go out in word of mouth and we're going to connect with people who don't know about it and garner more support for education, unity, and community effort, period. You know, from a financial standpoint, I'm also developing a fund for the culture hall called the Promoted Collective Fund. And ultimately, it's a fund that will redevelop local businesses, but it will also work to empower and um, provide financial compensation to musicians, local musicians for shows around the city. And so again, we're, you know, rebuilding, but also providing long-term career uh, uh, support for musicians so that they can sustain themselves and know that they're valued, right? And so the people that I'm tapping for this fund are the community, of course, right? So through the collectives, there's gonna be, of course, like membership. And of course, this membership is going straight to the rebuilding of our community and the sustainability of the culture hall, right? So the platform. But ultimately, um, the community is going to donate through membership, but also through donation. And then we have corporations who are also going to actually hold accountable for financially uh, contributing to the development of Austin, right? Um, a lot of corporations come and they just take, right? But they come here for the entertainment and the culture that is Austin. And so ultimately we want them to have a hand in that. And I think a lot of co companies and corporations do want to be a part of what happens here. And I know that a lot of them have, you know, uh, arts and, uh, you know, funds and things like that for local entertainment and things. And so I, I know that I think it's our job to really engage them. They don't really know what's here when they get here, right? They just know that they have money to spend, <laughs> yeah. right? And so, you know, I really want to provide them with platforms and infrastructures that are sustainable, that they can really, really invest in and really entrench the, their company uh, into from a development standpoint of what's going on. So I'll stop there. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight that need part because there's another need. And that's how I'm, I'm going to try to fill that through the company. I'm glad you shared that. And I'm glad that you pointed out that there are different ways for people to get involved in making a more just, humane, united society because social media posting is very easy, relatively right. speaking. You know, you may piss off two to five people, but it's just a post. Right. Whereas going to protests is useful, but when it comes to getting the legislature that we need for a change to stick or even just using the money that we have at our disposal in our local communities, that's powerful. And so finding a way to organize that both for the indie musicians around Austin who need help both surviving COVID and navigating the cultural racial challenges in the Austin music scene, but just people in Austin as a whole. I'm really glad that you're making an easy way for people to get actionably involved yeah. yeah um you know that was important for me because you know i went to one protest and to be honest i didn't know what really came out of it other than we made a demonstration and i knew that the energy was needed but i didn't feel like my purpose there was met you know what I'm saying? Like, or, or that I really had much of a purpose there. I think that in addition to what I'm doing from an infrastructure perspective, we do need the protesters and we do need the people out, you know, organizing around legislation and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, lanes, you know, everyone has their lane. You really got to find it. I enjoy organizing people and, and making connections and educating. And I think that the culture hall is going to be a great chance to do that. Uh, so the first one is slated in uh, for July, July 9th. I don't know if we're going to make that date. We might push it back a week, but tentatively that will be the first culture hall. The second one will be in August, and that one will be with the larger, more broader partner group. The first one is going to just be me. I'm going to set the tone for it um, with the team, of course. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. It's going to of course, include some like, you know, uh, musical performance. So I'm going to have some musicians perform. I'm going to have some type of cultural immersion section. Um, I'm going to have, of course, an education and cultural awareness section. 
And I'm going to have a panel, of course, where I engage the community. And I mean, from an action standpoint, if you think about what I want people to take away from this, as soon as you come in, there's only going to be a 50 person limit, actually, for this place. The capacity is 300. And I know the city said like restaurants can do 50 percent, but no, we're going to just drop that down all the way to 50 because 50 percent is 150. And that's a lot of people still. So I was like, no, let's just do 50 people, make it really comfortable. But we're going to, of course, require masks to be on if you're not at your table. But then we're also going to do temperature scanning when people enter the room or the restaurant so that, you know, we know that folks aren't like too sick or sick at all. But then when they come in, there's also going to be QR codes at their tables that when they scan, direct them to petitions that they can sign, you know, for different legislative things, but then also funds that they can donate to help local businesses. So. I love that. Immediate action, you know, followed up by slow and sustained action through the panel and, you know, community engagement. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for using music as a means for bringing people together so that you can get them in the door to do the next step of whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Because, like, throughout history, musicians have given voice to stories that are not otherwise heard or needs that are sort of glossed over. And, you know, if, if you have a good beat, if you have a good sound, people will pay attention. And then when their guard is down, you use your lyrics to share what you need to say. And then before you know it, that's what, I mean, it's not entirely what gets people fired up enough to do actual actions, but it, it helps that. It supports that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a point, you know, and I think Nipsey Hussle had a point when he said that, you know, the people of the future, the people going, who are going to be here in the future are the people who um, create the business models of the future. You know, the people who are going to be successful in this next life, this next wave of wealth are going to be the people who create new infrastructures and new ways of thinking and doing things, which has always been the case, you know. So he was really just reminding us of that. You got to continuously innovate the way you engage with people. That's what he was really talking about. And he was really doing that through, uh, you know, the Marathon brand and everything like that and how he was building community in L.A. Um, rest, rest in peace. So I think that this is a prime opportunity, man, for people to find value in themselves. And that's why this culture hall is so important. Because this is, this is about upliftment, empowerment. We can do this. It's about, you know, realizing that, yes, the city and the government provide us these resources, but ultimately we can't rely on them as our only means of survival. We have to rely on ourselves and each other God made us helpmates one to the other, my mother used to always say. You know, we have to rely on each other to be able to um, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, so to speak. I always say that, you know, when someone tells you that they have something that you need, but you don't have the wherewithal to access it, it's almost like they're telling you to pull yourself up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, but you have no boots on. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we got to fix that. But it starts at home, you know, it starts at home. And I think this is a village. Um, yeah, if you ever heard the saying, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. My mom um, loves that saying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I see all of us sort of as children in this, I would say, spectrum of the things that we need to learn, you know, and the mental fortitude that we need to reestablish as a people, right? We got to start from like we're babies and we as a community need to, you know, work together and handhold each other and get us there as a whole. So I'm trying to make this a national movement. Um, it's going to start here in Austin. The organizations that I'm working with, a few of them are national organizations. And so there is talk about how we disseminate this nationally if it does work here in Austin, right? The broader thing to this is that, you know, Promoted Culture is launching the Promoted Collective in July as well. Um, and the Promoted Collective 
is basically a community, a national community of, you know, artists and creatives that connect, collaborate and create, but then they also champion each other and what comes out of those cities. And so I'm thinking about creating culture halls through that broader collective group, but I'm not sure yet. <laughs> the Florida Collective Culture Hall is a spinoff for organizations and the community. So I wanted to be clear about that. I think people might get confused. <laughs> uh, the Promoted Collective is directly connected to Promoted Culture and the Culture Hall basically came out of the Promoted Collective. Mm-hmm. So there it is. Well, I'll make sure to give them all the links so they can follow the hierarchy in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I've made it easy. So you can just follow uh, one page, Promoted Culture, promoted.culture on Instagram. There we go. Yep, there's an acronym, PRMTD.culture. Making it easy for people is the first part, you know? Exactly. Making it accessible. That's what I've been preaching. So if it wasn't yeah. accessible, you'd be like, man, he's fraud. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's one of the most important parts of what you're doing with whether it's for culture town halls or infrastructure for local Austin musicians to start. And then as you're able to scale that, take it national, there really is a lack of an easy place to go where you can find the information that you need to either take action in your local area to support your community Mm -hmm. or be an ally to communities in your local area. And then also for musicians, as you're trying to get started, figure out the ways to make money, the ways to get to know your own community of people who may be part of your local audience. Right. You need that infrastructure and it's not there right now. So kudos to you for being a generous person and helping to make that possible. (laughs) Well, thanks. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, I'm excited for what it will become. Um, because I know, I know it's going to grow and I know that people see the need, you know. And I'm also really looking to bridge a few gaps between the community, the different communities that we have within the community, right? So uh, within yeah. the community, you know, the younger generation, the older generation, and then, of course, like the youth youth. And so I'll start with the youth. And the reason why... You know, I talked with the partners and we came up with the Promoted Collective was because a lot of times when we talk about redeveloping our communities, we don't really include, we're not really thinking about the young ones, right? And the conversations that they should be a part of. And so the Promoted Collective is really going to be about, you know, creating programs that empower and educate them around things that, you know, our school systems don't teach, but more importantly, you know, bringing them together in a way that ultimately exposes them to conversations and the language that we use around rebuilding this community and unifying people. Because ultimately, when they become our age, they need to already be aware of these things and what's going on, you know? And a lot of times they, they aren't because nobody's, nobody's engaging them. Nobody's talking to them. gap that we're looking to bridge here is the gap between the elderly generation and the younger generation in terms of my generation and your generation, right? And that's an interesting one because I'll use this this moment in time as example. When they were our age, they were fighting in the civil rights movement, for example, right? And they were, they knew how to navigate things. They knew how to contribute. They knew what their purpose was in, in everything. Even in, the, in their communities, they knew how to engage. But today, you have a lot of the elderly generation who still want to engage, but don't know how. And there's no one from the younger generation reaching back to say, hey, let me show you. You know what I'm saying? Or um, let me invite you out to an event that we might have going on in the community so that you can get to see what's happening and get to connect with people. And so that's where we started the business collective because we needed a space for really elderly people to connect on a more professional level um, so that they felt like, you know, this was something worthwhile investing in. 
But then also we have organizations like the Urban League and Six Square who have personal relationships with the elderly in our community at church, through local events that they may have. And so we're thinking about uh, doing pop-up events in the community, like pop-up barbershop, pop-up breakfast on certain streets, right, to get the elderly people out so that we can talk about the things that we want to engage with them around. You know, trying to do personal house visits to kind of get to meet them face-to-face because those are the things that's important to them. Those are the things that used to happen in their community, right? When they were coming up, people would go out and meet you, you know? This yeah. Social media and digital connecting going on. So, yeah, that's how I'm really looking to bridge those gaps. Um, so important. So important. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when there's so many people who have already been so involved in protesting and working to make a change that we right. might as well bring them along for the second wave. Right. But we need them, you know. Um, mm-hmm. We need them. So you brought up bridging gaps and I'd love to circle back to what you said earlier about wanting to unite people because really that's what it's going to take to get these changes achieved in our society and to get them to stick long-term. And so for the sake of full disclosure, I am a white woman. You are a black man. There are lots of musicians around Austin who are Latino, Asian, Black, white, and depending on the genre of music that they play, the city of Austin is more or less accepting to them in terms of venues. I've had some artists that I've spoken to describe how, you know, if you're an indie rock or blues musician, it's really easy for you to book a show. But if you're a hip hop or R&B musician, in some venues, it's much more difficult. And so how are you anticipating bringing people together? So if someone wants to be an ally for the Black community in Austin, whether they're white or otherwise, how are you hoping to see that unfold through your collective and the promoted efforts that you're doing? Yeah, great question. And it starts with having an infrastructure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) It's my favorite word, as you know. Mm -hmm. It's a good one. Yeah, you know, but infrastructure in terms of a physical space, though, um, in this sense, right? So I've been talking with someone on my team about buying a space. And once we get that space, it's on and popping. You know, uh, we'll be able to host showcases, but then also we're going to have some studio space, right, where we can do some film and photography, but then also record some music for musicians. So that's the goal. Um, is to be able to, you know, buy real real estate in the cities that we represent and provide that venue location, but then also the, the infrastructure on the back end to develop them as people and as musicians and then also develop their careers at the same time and promote them at the same time, right? I'm trying to put, build the whole 360 model because I don't think that enough record labels and digital marketing agencies do enough of bridging these gaps. They all work independently in their own uh, stations, really. Um, Unless you have someone like a Sony who has everything in-house already, right? They have their marketing departments or actually big companies. They got their own agencies. They got, you know, all that good stuff. But if you're independent as a label, you're working nine nine times out of 10 with independent marketing agencies who don't really focus on entertainment marketing or music marketing. They do everything, right? And so you really want to have all these things in-house and develop your business in that way and scale in that way because you can personalize this, your approach a lot more. You really build those connections that are most meaningful and will help to sustain your business much more so. That's what it's going to come down to, my friend, is having that physical space to be able to provide the the platform for any kind of musician to play any kind of music, to engage new audiences and new crowds. I envision that being a success. I don't doubt that it will be. 
Yeah, and I, and I don't doubt that as soon as it happens and restaurants and other venues start catching on, they're going to try to be more accommodating and they're going to start having a more diverse acts and things. And it's going to be like, yeah, we see what you're doing and you're not low because those are Ill, in, Ill intended, right? You didn't really want to do them in the first place. You saw that you can, you see that you might potentially lose business. And so now you're wanting to do this. And no. <laughs> We, we have to hold you accountable as an establishment, you know, and you got to really change your whole, your whole game. Yeah. Just following that marketing tangent, because my day job is in marketing. I think I really appreciate how you pointed out the ability to, when you have all these different pieces of promoting an artist and building their career under the same big umbrella, you are able to specialize and personalize things to what's really going to work in that niche, whether it's music as a whole or hip hop music, or I don't know, even classical music, or just someone who is a DJ or producer primarily. And maybe they don't perform a lot, but they get a lot of syncs in TV and film. And I've just really appreciated how, you know, for small e-commerce businesses, which is, where my day job focuses, there are different companies who are really specializing in that. And it makes such a difference in your ability to do the marketing work that you need to. And so when you have that music specialization, it's just going to open so many doors because we're in the trenches. We're thinking about things that, you know, if you're trying to just serve everyone with this big like marketing umbrella, you're not going to catch everything. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the problem with most um, large entertainment companies is they're so far in the clouds that they've lost touch with local communities and local infrastructures that provide them the word on the street. You know what I'm saying? So that's ultimately how Complex got started, you know, and Jet Magazine and even Essence, right? Being the voice of the local Black communities and being the word on the street. But Com- Complex got too big and now they're like super corporate <laughs> uh, and like they're pretty much out of touch. I mean, like Vice is probably much more in touch, but I don't know. Are they owned by Complex now? I don't know. They might not be. That might be fake news. <laughs> <laughs> hey, quick sidebar for you. So you can get the full context around these publications Asante's mentioned. They're all magazines that focus on news, culture, and entertainment related to the African-American community. And they're often tailored especially to the youth. Jet Magazine, you could say, is the OG. It's been around since 1951. Complex Networks focuses on the youth. And among many subjects like music and fashion, Complex also has its own department just to stay on top of sneakers and those latest trends. Essence is a magazine and media company for Black women. Personally, I'm really excited about the work that Essence is doing. So you can understand what I'm resonating with, here's a quote from their website. With its motivating message, intimate girlfriend-to-girlfriend tone, compelling and engaging editorial lineup, and vibrant and modern design, Essence is the definitive voice of today's dynamic African-American woman. Essence speaks directly to a Black woman's spirit, heart and her unique concerns but yeah man like i i feel like we are going to be so tapped in because you know i'm also collecting a lot of data right now on the different campaigns that we're doing the way we're engaging the audience how are we getting lifts on the certain um, or certain metrics that we're tracking right impressions reach shares likes views the list goes on but over time though you know as i continue to track this data in three years we're going to have so much information on our local communities that like companies are going to come to us to mine the data you know what i'm saying that's like literally i'm like that's a whole other you know like revenue stream for the company because if you think about it what i'm preaching and and telling um, these musicians that ultimately your network is your net worth Right. If you can develop content and develop your brand to the point where you are able to increase your reach and visibility, you're ultimately expanding your network and leveraging your network to build a more sustainable career for yourself. So for me, as an infrastructure, 
I need to develop my network and use that as a revenue stream essentially to continue to scale the company. And so if you think about companies like Spotify, for example, and larger entertainment music groups than my own, they're going to come to companies like myself who have data on musicians and what's happening in these local communities and data on, more importantly, how to engage these communities. You know what I mean? You know, and so that's that's one of the reasons why I really love the fact that I have this tool belt of coming from corporate America, because I still work for the Clorox company full time. Um, so don't ask me what my days these days looks like. Uh, but, <laughs> when do you sleep? <laughs> yeah, good question. Is there time for that? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't even know these days. I oftentimes <laughs> contemplate that. I'm like, am I human? No, I'm still human. My heart's beating. <laughs> Yeah, time has quickly become my most precious resource. Yeah, man. Um, But, you know, as a data analyst who focuses on business intelligence and data infrastructure, this was really easy for me to kind of bring over into this side. I think that most companies don't think about the cross-pollination of industry. And I think you have to if you want to innovate. Right. And so I'm thinking of really innovating the music industry from a data perspective and really bringing artists into the business fold. I think traditionally artists haven't really been invited into the business room, you know, into the, into the corporate meetings, into the behind the scenes. I want the artists to have an awareness of the behind the scenes and an awareness of what's really going on and how to do things for themselves, right? So essentially teaching them how to fish versus having them to rely on the label, rely on the marketing agency, rely on the management company, you know, all these things keep you trapped, one. And two, all these things don't really... I think personally allow you to really reach your full potential because in order to do that, you have to be free. You know, you have to be free mentally, right? And and if all these companies have hidden agendas around how they want to scale their businesses and, and promote you, then, you know, you're not really doing that. We hear about this all the time where musicians feel like they can't really express themselves and so they lose it and they some of them kill themselves. Some of them go on really long vacations or take really long breaks from creating any music, you know, and then all of a sudden they come back and we hear about stories of suppression, not oppression, but suppression uh, of, of, of voice and, and creativity. And so, you know, I really don't want that anymore. I don't want that to be the narrative for creatives. And so I'm really hoping that my company can be a beacon for the change that the industry wishes to see and the way we should engage musicians in the future. So... That really resonates with me. And again, it just comes back to, this is why I was drawn to you in the first place. (laughs) One of the things that first prompted me to start this podcast is I was really lucky to grow up the daughter of an entrepreneur. And so on the one hand, for the sake of being candid, I really saw the struggles that my dad went through as a small business trying to navigate, you know, making payroll and being the family taken care of. But on the other hand, I really got exposed from a young age to these different, I guess, just mind frames that entrepreneurs are constantly exposed to. Things like working on your business rather than in it or using your brand and leveraging that to earn the trust of your customers because if you if you think about it really a musician's fans are their customers they're, they're trying to sell them merch or records or whatever you know the musician right. needs to make money in order to keep things going because right. it's not free or cheap to make the music in the first place and to market it and so <laughs> yeah. i've just over the years noticed a lot of parallels between how entrepreneurs need to think to be successful and how, I guess, you just call it a modern musician's career if, if they really want to be sustainable over the long term, if they mm-hmm. want to be true to themselves and create and really enjoy the life that they're living every day, they need to think like an entrepreneur. You got it. So I really love how you're wanting to just leverage that education for musicians. Oh, yeah. I think in this lifetime, 
it's all about broadening your awareness around about your surroundings. And that entails educating yourself about your surroundings. Life continues to evolve, and so do we. That is something that <laughs> catch me disputing. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Well, we've been talking for an hour, and I've got like 20 more questions I could easily ask you. But <laughs> I want to be respectful of your time. So is there anything else that you feel like we haven't discussed yet that you'd like to talk about? We just dropped a blog. Um, the Promoted Collective blog is out on Medium. So download Medium and just type in Promoted, P-R-M-T-D, and go to your People tab, and the Promoted Collective should be the first account that you see. Click that, and we drop four new blogs. We have a, an amazing creative writer. Her name is Kimberly Seals. So shout out to Kim. And, you know, she just dropped the first four. And the Promoted blog is really going to be the, the voice of the movement promoted collective movement. And I really wanted to create that 360 pipeline of physical culture hall space, ambassadors with the collective groups, and then of course the news, right? So what's going to be our communication outlets? And so I wanted to create the blog for that purpose. Then the blog is also of course going to highlight musicians, indie culture and lifestyle and you know a slew of other things pertaining to you know the movement and then of course that blog is going to evolve into the publication that i mentioned um and the publication is going to be called promoted culture it's going to be so fire i can't wait um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah it's going to be digital but then of course you know i'm also thinking about the merch because you know it's not just going to be some t-shirt like you know which is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna have t-shirts, but it's not just going to be t-shirts. <laughs> well, I look forward to watching what you develop. Are you gonna be a patron? <laughs> I mean, technically, I already am. I donated to your what was it? Re the rehab fund. Yes. And actually, speaking of that, I'm glad you mentioned it. So we have the money. Oh and yeah. We've closed the fund. However, we're trying to really think about what like how we're going to disseminate it to local businesses because there were a lot of funds that took money but money went missing after it was disseminated out and like mm. it, it was funky and so i want to make sure that the businesses that we give it to are actually you, you want know, transparency yeah i wanted to make sure that they're actually going to work on themselves with it <laughs> I wonder, is there like some software tool out there that you could use to help with that? I don't think so. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> right, right, right. But, you know, I mean, I, I trust folks. But then again, I just want to make sure because not everyone has the business savvy, even though they have a business to understand how to leverage funding. Literally, you know what I'm saying? That is so such you a gotta be Yeah, you got to be cognizant of that. It's not that you don't trust people, but, you know, not everyone is good with money. Teach um, them. <laughs> Yeah, you got to educate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we have the bread, and thank you so much for donating. My pleasure. Yeah. We got up to 1287, so. I love it. Mm-hmm. I also love my culturally relevant t-shirt. I know you're not too thrilled about t-shirts, but <laughs> it's comfy so as hell. <laughs> it is. I got mine, too. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Asante. It's really such a pleasure to hear about everything that you're doing and honestly you inspire me to keep plugging away at whatever i'm building here with musicians can drive yes you are building something great because again i think i've told you this before but the more platforms that provide um, the space for musicians to share their voices and to heal and to teach you know the better so we need what you're doing so keep doing it i'm supporting you Please check the show notes for links to find Asante and Promoted on social media and to find the Promoted blog. One last thing before you go today. There are techniques, strategies, and routines that work best for different people. With that in mind, I encourage you to consider this. Asante made a really good point when he was talking about finding something that was in his lane to help the Black community of Austin. There's another word that entrepreneurs like to use to describe this, 
and they call it your zone of genius. Another thing you could call it is just your unique talents. What are you especially good at better than anyone else? Where are you most able to help others? You might already know what that is for you. But if you don't, and you're wanting to get involved either in the independent music community where you live, or specifically in the black community where you live, or maybe you have, you know, in Texas there's a Tejano community, or the South Asian community, the Latino community. Wherever you feel moved to get involved and to help, before you do that, take some time to consider what is it that I can do that will help these people, that will help my local community, and that I'm especially good at. So, what's your lane? I'd love to hear about it. <laughs>